Scripture reading, Luke 4, 14-21. Jesus returned in the, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He enrolled the scroll, unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leon. So we are in the midst of Lent, and we got two significant things happening right now in Lent. One of them is the 40 days of prayer. Uh, This is a commitment our whole community has been stepping into during Lent. We have a prayer room in our offices at the junction. Uh, We have a sign-up form that you see in your bulletins. And this is an opportunity as a community to move a mountain. To move a mountain in in our faith community, to move a mountain perhaps in shoreline. But we're not focused on the goals. We're rather focused on bringing ourselves down so that we can simply be with God. A mentor of mine reminds me that sometimes we think that we're not going to be productive because we pray too much. And so he put that to the test and he found out that he cannot outpray God. He cannot outpray God and the work somehow gets clarified and always gets done. So let us not fear that we're going to be somehow unproductive. Rather, we're going to be doing a work together collectively in the spirit. And something that is like kind of hidden in there is the reconciliatory power, reconciliatory power of prayer. So on Thursday, when I was in the office, I was the only one in the office, and this family from another church comes to the prayer room. We have three other churches in the Shoreline area that have heard we're doing this, and they want to just be a part of it. They ask, can we come and pray in your prayer room? And we're like, yes, yes, you can. (laughs) So this family comes in, mom and dad with a son. The son's a teenager, but mom and dad are no longer married. They're actually divorced. And the wife's new husband comes to the prayer room too. And they all four go together into the prayer room, and they spend an hour in there. And then they come out and they're beaming with one another and they're hugging one another and they seem to have this reconciled relationship through something very torn. It was beautiful. So if they can do this, if they can commit an hour to prayer, so can we. So please press into prayer together as a whole community. The second thing is that we are in a sermon series called Seasons. This is launching off uh, Ecclesiastes 3, where uh, there is a time for everything in our life. And one of the beautiful things that we've got to press into here is that there is, there is a time and place for all things in our life. We had Pastor Scott preach on peace the first week, and then waiting the second week, and this week we're going to hear about reducing, reducing 
a time for reducing. This last week, between Thursday and Saturday, I changed the message. (laughs) You'll see that the main idea here uh, on the top of your bulletin is about uh, the Holy Spirit giving us a mission and stepping away from limitless culture. I was going to preach on something that was uh, very specific to how we need to open our lives up because the Holy Spirit is trying to come upon us and give us a mission that we are to live out. And I think that that's still very true and that the text still speaks to that. But what I really want to talk about, the thing that is really in me that God is pressing upon me is that the clutter that we have in our lives is really preventing us from receiving the authentic love that God has for who we are, not for what we do, not for how we perform, not for the achievements that we make. No, it's for just who we are. And the challenge is that we don't readily receive that because we are so wrapped up in an identity of accomplishment in what we do and who we are. Does anybody else have this voice in their head that, they, that says, people don't love me for who I am. They love me because of what I can do for them. Does anybody have that voice running in their head? I've had that running in my head for a long time. And the truth is, is that I, <laughs> the truth is, is that I get a lot of praise for accomplishing things. That I grew up being able to do a lot and uh, accomplish a lot, to carry a lot on my shoulders. And you would think that, that in some ways, someone would say, I think that's enough. You've done enough. You've accomplished enough. But they didn't. And rather they said, hey, you're someone that can do a lot and you can be a lot and you can accomplish a lot. So go and do more of that. I actually got more praise and attaboys and support for doing all those things. And so I just kept doing them. And you know, in truth, that worked for me. I actually liked it because it felt good to be in control. But as I grew older, there was a shadow side to that whole thing. The shadow side was that I had this wall. I built this wall up that said, I'm pretty sure people just like what I do. I'm pretty sure they only want what I can do for them. So that's the thing that got me kind of all wrapped up in realizing, and I, and I, and I think that I actually blocked this sense of God's love for me and others' love for me because it was just wrapped up in what I do. Two weeks ago, Pastor Scott asked us the question, what season do you think you are in right now? And in the service, as I prayed that, what I quickly got back was that I have you in a season of vulnerability. And so I kind of wrestled with that because now God's got me in a season of vulnerability. I'm asking questions about how I really receive love. And there is this wall in between vulnerability and love. And so what I feel God is kind of doing in me is calling me to reduce. Calling me to not just reduce my schedule and the things that I do. I think that that is an aspect of what's happening here. I think that that is maybe a byproduct. 
But I think what he's challenging me to, to reduce is the value I put on the feedback that I want, the input, the, the likes, the retweets, the affirmations of culture, the pursuing things so that I can get people to tell me, a boy. I think what God is calling me to do is reduce my motivations down to this place where all that's left is not my accomplishments and not all that I do, but rather just me and put it to the test. Does God and do others love me for just who I am? I don't want to be odd or loved for what I can do. I want to be loved for reducing myself for being vulnerable. And I think Jesus models this very sentiment in today's text and directs us in how to reduce ourselves in order to increase in love. So the main idea you have on your bulletin, just mark it out. It's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) What we're talking about today is this new main idea. A cluttered life will cause you to miss Jesus's authentic love for who you are. So let's get busy reducing. Jesus, in, his, in this story, challenges us in some specific ways, but there's some things kind of underneath the surface. So the first thing that he challenges us in is reducing our schedules. And what I want to say, so that, that is the case, but you might put a slash there and say reducing our priorities. Reducing our priorities. So this is what it says at the beginning of the story. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. See, Jesus shows that his schedule and his priorities are They're not determined by the culture. It says that it was, he went to synagogue as he normally did. It was his custom to be there. And we know later on when we see how Jesus preached in the synagogues, he actually had a lot of problems with going to synagogue. He had a lot of problems because it was heady and it was really law focused. It was, it was about the morality, about following the rules. And that's, that's really what he challenged in what he preached a lot. So we see that Jesus had a lot of problems with the synagogue. But yet, nonetheless, he reduced his life in such a way where it was his custom to weekly go to synagogue. Is it your custom to attend church weekly? I think people don't prioritize coming to church for lots of reasons. I think maybe it's because of the, the preacher that they prefer, or it's the worship leader that they prefer, or whether we're having donut holes or muffins on Sunday morning. It could be all kind of manners of things, right? People don't, don't prioritize Sunday for lots of reasons. But I think the most pervasive one in our culture is simply about scheduling. Simply about scheduling. It's Lack of priority. I think people let busyness take precedent and crowd out the Sabbath. They let the tyranny of the urgent sort of take over and kind of come into a, well, we'll just wait and see sort of mentality. It's 
com- it's commonly understood and accepted that Seattleite churchgoers, for them, regular church attendance is twice a month. That's regular. What's irregular? I mean, for us, it's, some of us treat worship like it's, like it's recreational, like it's any other appointment in our schedules. Perhaps it's not a priority because this just feels like ticking a box in our relationship with God, that it's, it feels more obligatory than it is, than it is like something that's life-giving. Or perhaps you've kind of accepted the idea that church is like a gas station, and this is where you come to get filled up, and you've become very efficient, so you can go two or three weeks without attending worship before you need a fill. See, this is the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was created for us to rest in God, to actually test our trust in God. And so when we take our hands off the will, when we come to worship, when we are allowing our life to run and see that it's not going to fall apart, that God is still in control, that maybe you let go of some performance things on that day, but you still realize you're still you. That's what the Sabbath is for. And this, the worship gathering, this is for the whole community. This is not for any one individual. This is an opportunity for us collectively to receive and offer grace. But if you don't reduce your schedule in such a way, and and I think I just want to use the word maybe prioritize. If you don't prioritize your schedule to just be here, then you have made the Sabbath about you. You've made it about your needs. You've made it about what you can't do. See, Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And because it's one of the Ten Commandments, Jesus makes it his priority because it's God's priority. It's his custom because God prioritizes it. You see, if we don't prioritize the Sabbath, then what will happen eventually is that we begin to just neglect praise. We neglect praising God and we forget where our help comes from. And if we forget where our help from comes from, we forget that the community actually wants to help us too, that the community of faith is for us. And if we've forgotten that, then we quickly go to a place of isolation. And if we're isolated, then we're not hearing the gospel of Christ. We're hearing the gospel of culture. And the gospel of culture, it pretends to be kind. It pretends that it's for you. It pretends that it loves you. And what it tells you is you can do anything you want. You can, if you just put your mind to it, you can do and be anything you want. There's no rules. There's no truth. And that's supposed to communicate that there's freedom But what it does is it creates anxiety in us. It creates this anxiety that we are not enough and that we must be more. And not only must we accomplish all things, we have to do it by ourselves because asking for help is weak and it's wrong. So not only do you need to be all things, you need to do all things, and you cannot ask for help. This is where we get isolated 
and believe the gospel of the culture. We, we feel we can't reduce our schedules. We feel we actually have to live at the pace of culture because it gives us all the tools to do so. You got iPhones and you got computers, you got all these things to help manage your blocks of schedule. So we feel like we cannot slow down, we cannot be less. I would encourage you to not believe this gospel of the culture. Because here's the, here's the thing I really is impressed upon me, which is a, it's kind of a scary thing that, that this whole idea of I want to be reduced is saying, but it's this. And if no one's ever told you this, hear this now. You are enough. You are enough. You don't need the false identities. You don't need to fake it. You are not alone. The whole community of faith is here. So let us so don't hear this as a as a condemnation. Get to church. <laughs> because what I'm trying to say is that when we are here and we're gathered here, the Spirit of God is moving upon us and is moving the truth in our hearts that you are enough. That you can let the cultural expectations fade. You can let them fall away because you will not disappear. Who you are, rather, will emerge greatly in the community of faith. And together, together we will come into an understanding about what the, what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through us in the community. So the doing comes later. We need to be God's children together and accept that we are enough. For us to receive that, I really do think we need to declutter our lives. And yes, that is about schedule, but I think it's also about letting go of those cultural voices that say we should, that say we have to be, that say you can be anything you want, and stop putting on the false identities. So prioritize being here so you can hear this message of love and just let yourself be loved. So another part that Jesus is pushing forward here is that we are to be reducing our focus because as we reduce our schedules and we reduce our priorities, our focus emerges. And when our focus emerges, we are literally declaring who we are to people. That's what Jesus is trying to do when he returns home. Jesus returns home to preach you see, like in synagogue, there, there wasn't a particular preacher that was noted every week. They just raised somebody up from the community to give, give a word. And so the, Nazareth hears that Jesus is returning, and they've heard about what he's done in the region. And they say, well, local boy, he's done good. Let's set him up to preach. So they give him the scroll of Isaiah. He reads, and he sits down. And he doesn't sit down back in his pew. What that actually means is he sat down in the front to give the word. So this is, this is what he reads from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sits down and he says, 
This scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. It's a little inflammatory. But here's the thing he's saying. He's saying, these things will happen. And when they do, you will know that I am the Christ. You see, this this reading is from Isaiah 61. And it's about acts of mercy for the poor and the powerless. You know, Jesus could have read from Isaiah 53, which is about the suffering servant. It's about what the servant of God will suffer for God and for the people. And so that when, G- when everybody saw Jesus go to the cross, they would have said, ah, yes, he is the Christ. Or he could have read from Isaiah 28, which is all about the knowledge and wisdom from God alone. And they, so when he taught People could have said, ah, there's the Christ. And both of those things did happen. When he preached and when he went to the cross, people did recognize that, yes, he is the Christ, but that's not what he read. He read from Isaiah 61. And he is declaring that his focus is specifically on acts of mercy for the crushed and the marginalized people. When these people are served, that's how people will know that Jesus is the Christ. And you know how his hometown responded? They responded like sometimes our family responds when we're trying to share who we are and what we're about. They said, okay, we'll see. We'll see if that comes about. Well, it was actually a little bit worse. They kind of said, bless his heart. Bless his heart, Jesus. Luke writes that the crowd felt that he was speaking gracious words from his lips gracious words. He was saying that you will know he's the Christ through acts of mercy for the poor and powerless. He's not talking about overthrowing Rome or uh, some military invasion or, or not through punishing the enemies of the Jews like they wanted the Christ to be about. No, it is through service that you will know that Jesus is the Christ. And yet, yet they say, what a sweet boy, He had such nice words. Isn't that Joseph's son? And they totally missed the point. They totally missed the point of what Jesus is trying to get across. Because here's the thing. Jesus isn't saying this stuff for his own benefit. He's not saying it to remind himself that he is the Christ or what he will do to be the Christ. No, what he's he's trying to do is give them an inroad to have their hearts refocused on the heart of God. Of God. And he's trying to say that when you see these acts happening, you will know that the kingdom of God is among you. You will know that the Christ is among you. And you will know where to find God with the poor and with the powerless. So, why don't you think that they received Jesus' admonition to reduce, to refocus? I think it's because. They had some clutter in their lives. I think it's because they felt like they had it all right. That they didn't have any issues with redemption. They were the Jews. They were the chosen. They so believed that they were in good standing that they may not have had anything else to learn. See, What I think Jesus is trying to communicate here is that it's not how much 
we suffer. It's not how much we sing. It's not how much we know. It's not how wise we are, how much theology we have, how much understanding about morality or any of that. That's not what makes us Christian. What makes us Christian is how we serve the poor and the powerless, that we declare freedom for those who are incarcerated, that literal recovery of sight to the blind, giving freedom to the oppressed in this world. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a contact sport. If you don't have skin in the game for those who are poor and oppressed, then you may have accepted a cultural Christianity, kind of a cheap imposter that is more interested in spirituality than acts of mercy. See, this sounds like kind of a critical word that is, but it's really not. What I really feel that the Spirit is trying to challenge us in and really give us is freedom. Giving us freedom to allow ourselves to not get all caught up in the best way to be Christian, tweeting out all of our things, trying to impress, trying to put on identities. No, I think that the Spirit of God is trying to give us a freedom by giving us a focus, by allowing us to show that when we perform acts of mercy, when we are out with those who are pushed to the margins, we allow ourselves to just live our commitments, to just be Christian. And in many ways, our schedules do get overcome. Um, So I guess I want to say this, that a lot of times that we can't, there's many of us who can't change our schedules. We are, we have commitments to loved ones. We have commitments to many other, to work and many other things. But the thing that is kind of, that is able to be addressed is our motivations. And sometimes our motivations are, we want to impress our parents. We want to impress friends. We want, to, uh, we want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be cared for. And so we do things in order to direct people's love and care for us. And those become our motivations. So in the end, our actions can be the same, but the motivations need to be different. And what Jesus is saying, be motivated by acts of mercy for those who are in need. Let this be our focus so this can display that we are Christian. So the things that have our focus, the things that have our time, the things that, have our, are, that are our motivations, these will have our heart. So let's have our focus represent our Christian faith. And there's many here in our community that are doing just this. And I want you to hear these and hear them as an invitation. Hear them as an opportunity. Perhaps there's something in one of these that it feels like life to you. It feels like perhaps this is what you want to be about. And you can be. Don't let fear get in the way. So Tracy Owen, he's going to take a group in the Union Gospel Mission's rescue van, and he's going to go out at night, 6.30 to 11, and go and be uh, serve the poor, try and connect and care for them. And he's doing this on Good Friday. 
I think they've got a rhythm and it just happened to land on Good Friday. But the truth is, is that I love that they are going to be out in the streets, maybe then rather than in our service, to love those who may feel like they're just facing death. Jennifer Taman and others who are committed to Vision House, which is a house of transitioning homeless from the streets to a home. Marianne Sloan and Kay Hansen, which you've heard their names many times, their commitment to the community breakfast on Aurora, which is ongoing. This is the fourth or fifth year it's been going on. Pastor Anna and others who, is in, who are investing in uh, a, a variety of uh, families, both foster care and those with differently abled children that are tr- trying to create these inroads into the community that they are no longer on the periphery, but at the center. And Melissa Goss-Gents, who is working with the Good Neighbor team, training people on how, training a whole team of people on how to receive even just one refugee family and resettling them. And that's not just getting them an apartment. It is helping them establish their lives in and through our community. There are so many ways for you to be involved. And I know that at least the way it lives in me is that I have something that gives me life. And if that's you, Don't fear saying yes. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Scott. We want to get you rolled into that thing that the Spirit of God is tugging on your heart today. So the last thing that Jesus is really displaying in this story is actually a part of Scripture that wasn't read for us this morning. Uh, It was, it's the end of this scene, and it really nods at this, that Jesus is calling us to reduce ourselves, our whole selves, Jesus must increase and I must decrease, said John the Baptist. He was the one that kind of plowed the way for Jesus to come. But when Jesus was arriving, he said, I must decrease so Jesus can increase. And that's really what's happening. That's what's kind of on display here with Jesus' actions here at the end. So what happens is Jesus preaches this word, talks about the acts of mercy, and the people do not hear it or receive it. And so Jesus tells a couple stories against them. And there are two stories about two prophets from old Israel, Elijah and Elisha. So he tells a story about Elijah, and he said that Elijah was sent to the Jewish people, but they did not receive him as a prophet. And so in this, this time when he lived, there was a three-and-a-half-year famine, and God did not send Elijah to any of the Israels, Israelites. He sent them to this Gentile widow with a son whom she received him as a prophet and he gave her endless supplies of oil and flour. And she, she saw God. And with Elisha, he was sent as a prophet to Israel and he did not get received as a prophet by them. And so there was many who needed to be cured in his time, but none of the Israelites were cured in his time. Rather, a a Gentile centurion was sent to find him, and when he did, he was healed by Elisha. And and the centurion changed his whole life. He received Elisha as a prophet and therefore received God and changed his whole life. So this is is what those stories are trying to say is that the Jews did not receive the prophets of God. They rejected them. So God sent the prophets to outsiders who would receive the prophets and God and and be restored. 
So Jesus is saying to his hometown, his very family, he's saying this to them. They didn't see then, and you don't see now, that God is among you. And this is what happens after that. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so they could throw him off the cliff. But, but he passed through the crowd and went on his way. How did Jesus pass through a crowd, a mob that wanted to kill him? Did he use his godly power, become invisible and just ghost them? <laughs> did, he, did he put on uh, this aura like you see in the pictures? And did he, did he cause holy fear upon the crowd so he could just push them back and move through them? You know, that doesn't seem consistent with the story. Jesus, who was God, comes down and inhabits the body of a human. He reduces himself to this very point, And even, he's coming right out of the temptations. He is raw. And he's just, he's just a human. And so what I actually think, the, the part about this to accept is that Jesus may be just exceedingly ordinary. So much so that he just walked through this crowd, though wanting to kill him, they could not see him. They could not recognize him in their midst. Jesus, Jesus is among us, and we don't even know it. This is the most significant reason that we should declutter our lives. The clutter blocks us from actually seeing and receiving Jesus, Jesus is among us all the time trying to tell us how much he loves who we are, what we are. But the clutter in our lives blocks us. Our people-pleasing blocks us. Our achievement culture blocks us. And we don't see that Jesus is actually in our midst trying to tell us, trying to tell you that you are enough and I love you. Jesus actually needs us to be vulnerable with him as he's been with us by coming from heaven to earth. He actually needs you to simplify, to let go of your people-pleasing, to let go of all that and just be a very ordinary person. And in that, he will show you that he truly loves you and he has a plan for your life. And that plan is for you to share that love, to share that love with others. So don't miss Jesus because you feel like you also need to please the culture or accomplish like the culture says so. Don't miss Jesus because you're trying to be something that you're not. Put this to the test. Reduce, simplify. Allow your motivations to change and see that Jesus really loves who you are. So if you hear nothing else today, walk out with this. You are enough. Pray with me.
Heavenly Father, forgive us for the ways that we've made it. Forgive us for trying to put on something that we are not. God, we truly are scared to show our true selves to you, our naked selves, our unaccomplished selves. We want to put on a show for you, but that's not what you ask. So, Heavenly Father, would you release us from these cultural expectations? Would you release us from the ways that we've made it and remind us that you love us as we are? Would you help us to receive that, to even love ourselves like you love us, down to the childlike faith that we have? Be with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We'll have uh, prayer ministers in the front uh, and after service. And if you need prayer, I'll be in front too. Come, let's continue in worship.